how do we, when we're dealing with the fact of no staff, how do we help businesses recognize what their core strengths are to be able to make them an employer of choice and how powerful that is in this time at the moment. Over the past couple of years, we caught up with Restaurant and Catering Industry Association CEO Wes Lambert quite a few times talking about industry issues, the intersection between industry and government and all kinds of policy positions. There was a lot to talk about. Wes has moved on and this is a great opportunity to catch up with the new CEO of Restaurant and Catering, Belinda Clark. Belinda, congratulations on the role and welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And the, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I feel like there's never a quiet time in the hospitality industry. Um, how, yeah, how have, have you hit the ground running? How has it been? Well, to be honest, I've been working with Wes for the last three years and um, the last three years have certainly been a little bit of a washing machine. I think we all have to agree. Um, and I think though we're now moving into a different phase. You know, the next phase is that recovery phase. Um, I think that businesses have had, you know, they've got about $10 billion worth of reservations that they've missed out on in the last couple of years. And now is this new chapter and they've got this big you know, debt over their head, um, hangover of debt. And, and now they're moving through, of what do I need to do now? What's my next step? And how am I going to move through this next phase? So I think that we're in a new, different chapter of um, the recovery of the last few years. Yeah, well, great to hear the optimism in, in all of that. I mean, what do you think are the big issues that are facing hospitality businesses at the moment? Well, I think that if we watch the news and we're, um, we're talking to our fellow um, companions, we all know there's two big things. And the number one thing in the entire country is has got to be staff. You know, nobody has any staff. I'm talking to somebody from Perth to Cairns to Brisbane to Tasmania. Every single state has the same issue, and that is a massive lack of staff. I think the next thing that everybody's dealing with is that cost of doing business. We all know that the cost of living is increasing, um, but that also flows on to the cost of doing business. It's so much harder for businesses now just trying to get through this next phase to say, wow, okay, labor's going up. All right, even if labor isn't going up, the cost of hiring somebody is going up. You know, we know that employees are putting a price tag on their head and saying, we'll take it or leave it. Um, we know that we've got energy, we've got rents, there's food costs going up. Everything in every key major part of running a small business, running a hospitality business is increasing and that is a really tough time. I mean, it is and costs are going up, as you say, from all angles. Most employers would want to, you know, be, I guess, making sure that their staff are keep, their, their staff wages are keeping pace with the cost of inflation uh, of course, you know, some of these cost pressures also mean customers aren't spending as much, perhaps they're not coming at all. What kinds of solutions can you see to this massive crunch? Well, I think there's been a fear in the last, you know, I'd probably say over 10 years of cost of putting your prices up. There's a, a portion of the industry that's felt quite confident in doing that, and they have. And then there's a whole portion of the industry that's had a very big fear in what it might do, and they're very loyal to their community and their local customers, and they're quite scared to put their prices up. They're scared to add, you know, a public holiday surcharge. They're scared to add a Sunday surcharge. Um, there's a big fear there, but I think that businesses need to look at what is it costing me to put that on the plate? What is it costing me to deliver that on a weekend? And putting a value to that, and that might mean an increase in 
what people are, are having to buy things for. Um, I think we're going to see that as the number one push. Um, I think that we're also seeing businesses be a bit savvy and they're having to say, well, you know what, I don't have to open on, on a Sunday or I don't have to open on a Sunday night and I won't reopen until a Wednesday. I'll give my staff two and a half days off and I'm actually making more money now by doing that. So they're making changes in their business. They're also looking at their menu size saying, well, maybe I don't need to have this menu size. Maybe I can reduce it. Maybe I can look at different ways of offering my, my brand and my menu and how can I offset that? Looking at their beverage component on that. So there's some savvy business operators are making some good changes to be able to counteract that. Um, is it a long-term solution? I don't think it is, but I think it's certainly going to help them in the long run. Um, and it's really, it's, that's what we're educating certainly the industry to do right now is to make those changes um, and be brave and confident to do them. I mean, do you see your role as, uh, I guess, massaging people through a really tricky time or do you see it as helping to reshape the industry, like perhaps opening on a Sunday it isn't the, isn't the norm where charging a, a weekend surcharge perhaps is like do you see yeah do you see it as as you sort of offering these offering band-aids or helping to restructure the sh- the shape of the industry more broadly so i think it's two parts you know i think that we've got an opportunity here where there's a real element of of human side of helping people through those confident decisions of of how to make a change and to to be able to do that. And is this a good idea or a bad idea or what can I do? I mean, I think that quite often we talk to businesses when they're, you know, quite seriously hanging just on a a string and a women a prayer, um, hoping that there's another solution out there. And they come to us to say, what should I do? You know, and it's, it's tough. You know, we need people to be making good decisions and being really, really well educated in their, their decisions to, to be able to move forward. And the other side is exactly that. It's that whole perception of, um, of industry and trying to make a change for the greater good to be able to educate people moving forward. Because I think that consumers are always going to want to eat on a Sunday. You know, we eat um, 10 out of 21 meals a week out of house. That's an average. That's a lot. You know, food and beverage is here to stay. You know, that that's one thing that we certainly know. And I know that consumers want it and they need it. Um, so it's about how do we make it work for all? Yeah, so... It's so interesting. There's, as you say, there's always that demand, and, and I suppose you know just the very nature of hospitality. People want to respond to the demand. If their customers want them, they want to be there for them. But yeah, at the same time, obviously, it has to work as a business. And I feel, I feel like I've said this a few times over the past couple of years, Belinda. But I feel like this current period of of rising costs is a real time of reckoning for businesses. I'm hearing some really tough stories from people, you know, who've made it through all the various other challenging waves that we've all gone through. But this latest one, whether it's the gas bill or it's the, you know, impending um, award wage rises, uh, whether it's, you know, simply, you know, looking at the fresh produce um, list every day and just wondering how on earth they're going to make that stack up. Uh, I mean, are you hearing that this particular period is is really tough, that this is actually the one where a number of businesses are going to, you know, finally say, no, this is too hard? 
So again, there's there's two sides to that. There's, you know, I spoke to a, a restaurant operator who has been around, well known throughout the entire country, um, who said, look, I've seen this before, you know, 25 years ago, we we're in a very similar situation. You know, we can work through this. We It's going to be tough, but it's absolutely workable. And then you've got quite a few business operators that we see now. Um, they don't go into this eyes wide open. They go in saying, I want, I want work-life balance. I haven't got a business plan. It's going to be great. You know, I love the smell of coffee. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to open a cafe. Um, and they don't have a plan. And I think it's also those business operators that don't have that plan and they aren't able to lean into this and be able to reassess and be able to make changes. And I think change is the biggest word. I'm certainly not going to use the the, the P word, but change is certainly what we need to be embracing and we have to keep embracing it. And I'm so proud of those businesses that do do that. They have to keep doing it because we are all doing it. And the only way to get through this is to regularly reassess, look at what is working, what's not working, and make the change that is required and to be confident in making that change. Mm, I mean, but it's tough, though, because, you know, 25 years ago, yes, inflation, um, you know, economic pressures, but that wasn't off two years of a pandemic and shutdowns and all the other stuff that we know has depleted businesses financially, emotionally, you know, in in all other ways. I mean, yeah, I think this is a particularly tough period. And, you know, the one state that is actually embracing this the best, the one state in the entire country, you know what it is, it's Victoria. They are the ones that got hit the hardest and they are the ones that are saying, don't talk to me about COVID. Just let me, you know, focus on the future. Let's move through this. Now, will we see, you know, businesses close? A hundred percent. You know, there's enough is enough. And I think that they've got to that point where they say, I don't know, you know, why did I think this was a good idea? You know, I, I can't do it. It's not working. And, and they're, it, they're going to have to make that decision and they might, you know, close their doors. We're seeing a huge amount of acquisitions right now. Um, and I think that it, it is an incredibly tough time. Um, but I, I honestly can also see those businesses that are making those changes, um, the positive impacts it's making to them. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of positive stories to tell. It's, it's a hell of a lot of bad ones, but there's also a lot of really good stories to tell. Mm, yeah, look, I agree. I'm hearing some really positive stories as well, but you know, there's certainly some really tough ones sprinkled in there. It is amazing to see the optimism with so many people opening businesses or opening second businesses and acquire, as you say, acquiring. Um, with that view, that eye on the future, it's just a very mixed picture. But w- one thing that I wonder is, you know, we we love our indie restaurants. We love our neighbourhood restaurants. We love those restaurants that have that real um, character. I think we, it's something we pride ourselves on in Australia. But it is you know, we're also seeing more and more groups. I'm just wondering where you think the the place of the indie restaurateur is at the moment, Belinda. Well, you know what? It's tough. I think that um, an independent restaurant that is got their eye on the ball, that are really looking at their costs and making changes, are able to make a change in their business very quickly. 
What I do see is those larger operators, by the time their financial department and everything's come in, the figures have come in, it, sometimes it's quite a long time after the end of the month that they actually see those figures to say, oh, right, three weeks ago, this is what was happening. And, yep, it's still continued to happen for the last three weeks, and that's not great. And because of their size and their scale, it makes a really big impact to their business. However, on the flip side of that, they're also able to buy things often much cheaper than the independent restaurant. Um, with their, their, their size and their growth, they're able to kind of throw that weight around. Um, and I think that often that does help them. You know, they're able to have a, an IR department in-house. They're able to have um, a lot of extra um, positions that would a normally an independent restaurant wouldn't be able to have. I think a business owner who's a small business, um, or even small to medium, are having to wear about 20 caps. And that's tough, you know, that they're having to to swap hats, you know, throughout the day, every day, and a lot of them are working very long hours. What I do think they need to be doing is sometimes looking at um, outsourcing, looking at technology, which can be quite scary. I think that technology, there's a bit of a fear. I think we've all had a bit of a fear of being burnt by technology and saying, look, I tried it, I invested a lot of money and it didn't work. But I think that we have to also look at some technology is really going to help you, front of house and back of house. And not to replace stuff, but often to impact um, efficiencies in your business. Um, and I think that's a very important thing that we do need to be looking towards um, to the future. Um, but my heart's always with the independents, you know, those small restaurants. That's what community love. I think that when we talk about the, the restaurants that are doing and the cafes that are doing really well are the ones that have uh, really invested in their local community. And they're the ones where their community respects that and loves that, invests back into them. And they're the ones that are often doing very, very well. They've got a story to tell. They're real, you know. And I think that there's a balance there, but um, – you know, I think there's pros and cons, but we see small businesses, particularly in, you know, suburbs and, and regional areas doing exceptionally well, exceptionally well. And then, of course, you've got the big guys as well who are, you see them opening multiple venues and that does put a lot of consumer confidence and also business confidence. When you see when you're a small operator and you see a very big operation happening around you and investment happening around you, it does give that business confidence to say, you know what? I know they're putting it all on the line and I know that if they know something, I'm going to follow because I've got my heart. I know what my brand is. I believe in myself. I believe in my team and I'm going to follow. And I think that also does really help with um, that business confidence with um, businesses continuing to push on and put that foot on the pedal. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that, that you know, I guess the, the, that sort of rising tide raises all boats kind of approach. Um, yeah, I like that. And I, th I do think that some of the best indie restaurants at the moment have been able to really refine their identity, really, you know, as you say, you know, perhaps it's about a smaller menu, perhaps it's about reducing the hours, whatever it is, but just to really home in on who they actually are and what they want to deliver to their community. And I think when that message is, is really clear, uh, then, you know, that attracts people. And I mean, I suppose, you know, as a restaurant critic, the question that I always ask when I um, visit a restaurant is, well, what, what is their project? What are they trying to do? Who are they? Who are they? Um, who are they? Who are they trying to be? What's their purpose? Exactly. Yeah. And are they succeeding on their own terms? And I feel like that it's that kind of clarity that is so attractive in a restaurant. And I think also it leads to culture, right? You know, culture, you can, you can feel good culture in a business that's operating well. 
you know, if the team, you can see it, and that does also affect the consumers who are dining in the venue. And I think that's a really big, important part too, particularly when we know we've got this enormous staff shortage. There is there is no other place people want to be is in a place that has good culture. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it brings me back to what you said about, you know, the owners that are wearing 20 different hats and, you know, whether, you know, because everyone's so tight for staff, the owners are really working in the business in a lot of cases. And then in some ways they really are able to drive the culture, but in another sense, you know, perhaps they're not able to play that, that you know, over um, that they're not able to have that sort of HR overview and perhaps do some of that development and policy work around culture, which some of the groups are able to do. So it's, it is a tricky balance, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really tricky. And I think with culture, I mean, I, I certainly spoke to a very big restaurant operator um, recently and said, oh, I've got an amazing culture. You know, my venues are all doing so well and the culture is incredible. Um, yet I talked to 10 staff and they all said the culture's great. Not, not great at all. You know, I, I'm not happy. You know, so there's that also because of that large size, that disconnect, because they think, yes, we tick the box. We asked everybody how their day was. You know, I, I learned three staff members' names of what their kids were and, you know, I, I, I've ticked that box. I've, I've made my deposit for the month. And that's not culture. That That is so far from, you know, you can't just say um, I've done something once and then tick my box and moved on into something else. Culture is is a commitment, you know, and I think that in those larger venues, sometimes it does get watered down and I think that they may think that they're operating a great culture and sometimes it may not be so great. But the smaller guys often can do it well. That's so interesting. It's like, yes, you've paid for the staff to go out bowling one night, but that doesn't mean that everything's rosy and everyone feels super engaged in the business. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that's a really big part to to I think um, making you an empl- employer of choice. You know, how, how do we, when we're dealing with the fact of no staff, how do we help businesses recognise what their core strengths are to be able to make them an employer of choice and how powerful that is in this time at the moment? Um, and I think there's a whole lot of work there and, and we're certainly um, have culture as, as our top five priorities to be working on and helping businesses understand how they can do it, what they need to do and the importance of it. Well, what, I mean, what sorts, I mean, where do you start with that? What kinds of things do you say to businesses? Well, it starts at the top, to be completely honest. Um, I think it's about, as you said before, it's about understanding what is the purpose of my business? What am I here to really do? How do I involve my team? How do I communicate to them what that purpose is and make them part of that purpose? How do I have accountability across everybody so that if I'm not here working, if I'm not having to pick up, you know, going to the markets at 4am and, you know, in and out and, and trying to wear my 20 hats, how do I make sure that's operating when I'm not there? Well, that's about making everybody accountable. It's about making everybody part of the end goal and the vision and the solution and getting them on board with that. It's about transparency and honesty. There's it's a lot of things that a business operator can do with their team to be able to bring them along with the, the bigger picture to help them understand that they're very much part of that end goal. And I think that is something operators often don't do. I think they try and hide the, the costs and hide and they, they want to put their own head in the sand, let alone have to be open and transparent with their team. And they get confused about what their purpose and their vision is. And I think you throw a ball at, at, at somebody, they're going to catch it. You throw four at them or five at them, they're not even going to catch one. So you need to start small. 
You need to start small and build. You need to grow and make a change, a small change every day, and that is going to be sustainable and that will show the team, whatever change it may be, that we're making a change and I'm on board and making them part of that end goal. So just to try to make this a little bit concrete, Belinda, do you mean something like, um, okay, guys, we're going to try to have, you know, a 5% increase spend in drinks this month? Is it is this the kind of sort of granular thing you're talking about? Absolutely. It can be as small or big as, as what you like. It could be about the amount of people coming through the door. It can be about spend per head. It can be about increasing costs. It can be just about the transparency of where we are right now and what we need to do moving forward. It can be about... Um, what are we trying to achieve? You know, let's tick off some goals together and also ask them, what, what's your opinion? How are we going? You know, get some input from the team. Feedback is so valuable. Um, you know, your team are often the ones that are at the forefront and they've often got the most valuable ideas as well. We don't always love feedback, but feedback's really good from our teams. How do you think the hospitality industry is perceived? This is my favourite topic, Danny. let's do it (laughs) oh my god so I mean let's be honest um you know the last you know 10 12 years the industry's been totally demonized you know it's that you're not going to get paid well that your hours are unsociable um that's a terrible industry and that's the mentality that's what government's been saying you know it starts at the top so we've got a whole generation of, of kids coming through that are saying, God, don't want to look at that industry. Even my own kids brought home a piece of paper, you know, last month and said, here's my career opportunities, mum. What should I choose? And none of them were hospitality. I was like, what the hell? Um, Where's the school advisor? Get me on the phone. You know, there is this whole perception that this is an industry that isn't a career opportunity. And this has started with government. And this is something if we're saying now, look locally for staff, um, you know, when there isn't a huge push at the moment for immigration opening up those, those floodgates, then we need to be doing something really about it because it's not great. No parent says, I think you should be a chef, darling. You know, like, no, what, what parent is saying that? Um, and there's no, I think we're doing a really bad job of, of the perception of what we're doing, um, of those career paths and of those opportunities. Um, and on the flip side that we're also seeing a whole lot of people with a piece of paper walk into a business and start a job. They've never had a job before. And we've got this whole part of um, the corporate industry saying on a separate note, um, okay, so you finished that task. You now need to do another one. You know, do you know how to work in a team? Do you know how to look at things? You know, there is a whole perception of what the skills that you get in hospitality are lifelong skills, transferable skills. They are very valuable skills. And I think that all of us know how much we love hospitality. And it's about making sure we can change that perception. The word wellness would never have been used, you know, five, seven years ago in a kitchen. You know, you would be locked in a cool room for seven hours if you said that. Now there's a different phase. I see a lot of businesses trying to look at things differently because they have to. They need to. Um, But we need to be really putting out that new perception of our industry and the benefits, the value add, the lifelong opportunities. And that's what we really need to be focusing on. It's a very big thing. And I'm working very hard at the moment with government on how we do that, on their involvement, and also working with our industry now on how we do this together as a team. It's not one business. It's not one, you know, um, person that says this. It needs to be a collective 
push for the change. The change has got to be starting with us. Yeah, because, I mean, I suppose you sort of identified two parts to this part to this bit of the puzzle it's um it's changing the perception but then of course the thing that you're perceiving has to change as well um so i mean can those can that, those things happen at the same time yes definitely um i think that there's there's certainly a, a lot of work to be done um, but there's a lot of people that want to be involved. You know, I think that everybody has recognised that we've had a little bit of a hiccup here. This isn't great and it's not what the future needs to look like. Um, and there's a lot of talk. I think that every time that we're talking, um, you know, at summits and roundtables and you know, businesses together, they're all saying the same thing. We need to make sure we're, one, changing the perception in-house, but also changing the perception of engaging with people to come into into the industry how we do that and what we can do so i mean basically the the solutions are kind of the same it means good conditions good pay uh respect valuing of the skills i mean those things solve both of these issues don't they they solve the perception and they and they solve that they solve the, the industry that's being perceived and and pathways and opportunities um and i, I think that they're also the perception is you don't get paid well in hospitality. And I think that that isn't quite true. I know um, that our industry is often quite well paid. And I think that that needs to be talked about. I also think that there are things like tips that should be talked about. And, um, you know, it's part of what the, those perks are. And there, there is a lot of positive things to talk about in our industry. And I think that it does start with government, but it also starts with industry as well to be able to redefine what that looks like. Mm. So you mentioned government and obviously, you know, restaurant and catering has had has the ear of government. Do you think with um, with the new government that that changes? Like how does that, that relationship feel? Well, it's definitely a new relationship. I think that at the end of the day, we need to make sure that um, the association not only works with labour and the union movement and um, other industry bodies, um, as well as business, to find a pathway to work constructively with all stakeholders to get the best outcome for a business and for employees. Um, but I think that it's a really good opportunity because um, the change of government means a whole lot of new relationships. So that's a, that's great for us. I think that, you know, we know that the um, sitting week is in, with the, the new government sitting at the end of July. We're very excited to go down and we've all already started meeting and, and finding our positions and working out what we need to do. Um, and I think that there needs to be a number of reforms that need to be changed and implemented. Um, and I think that they're quite keen to hear from us in ways that we can help and support that. Um, I know that we've seen for too long government um, after government is you know, federal, state, territory is all throwing money into training and skills and we've heard this is what's going to be happening again. Um, but it doesn't always address the, the problems that we're faced of getting people into into our industry and training and, and we're very keen to work with them on what that looks like and how we can work together um, and what we need to do from an immigration point of view and also a local point of view. Well, can you point to any policy reforms you'd like to see in the immigration space? Oh, my goodness. With the immigration, at the moment we know that there's about 16,500 um, applications. We know about more than half of those have been in the pipeline for over 19 months. Um, we obviously think that this needs to be um, sped up significantly. We know that there's 
hundreds of stories from businesses. Um, families are separated. People who have been working for, for long periods of time went home for a funeral and couldn't get back. Um, we need certainly some very big attention to this and we need to speed up this process. We need the pathways of permanency sped up. We need the cost and, and the process and the red tape to re be re reduced. Um, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. And I'm certainly that I'm seeing great positive conversations, um, but I need them to happen you know, a little bit faster and the actions to be made faster because it's impacting our industry immensely. Mm, yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of people would welcome <laughs> those words from you, Belinda. Um, we're going to be hearing a lot from you um, through your new role and I'd just love to know a little bit about your backgrounds. Like what brings you into this kind of work? Um, well, to be honest, I've always um, worked in hospitality. You know, I think that it's something that um, I tried to get away from as many people, you know, think that you should get a real job um, back in the day. And I certainly have always had that, that pull and that love from a very young age and I've worked in um, many roles, front and back of house, and had many opportunities um, that have led me from here and overseas, and I've been very blessed. Um, but the one thing I, I definitely feel now is that um, there's a very big responsibility. You know, I feel a big responsibility with this role. I always have when I joined as COO, you know, three years ago, way before COVID. Um, you know, there was a big responsibility now, and I feel it even more so. And I feel that because I understand how a business runs and I understand the challenges and I feel the passion and the love. Um, and I also know that by being that voice to be able to take that to government, to be able to enable change and is, is a powerful one. And I certainly don't take it for granted. And I'm, I'm very blessed to be in the role and um, take it very seriously. And uh, I value um, our industry and I know how much it, it, it adds to the economic value to the country, but also to all of us individually, in our small businesses, 55,000 businesses across the country. Um, that's a lot. You know, we, we employ at the moment about 350,000 people. We're short about a hundred thousand plus, plus, plus. Um, and it, it's a big, it's a big industry. And I think it's an exciting time to be a part of this change and movement. And um, as a true born hospo, um, I wear the hat very proudly. Awesome. Love it. And Belinda, finally, can you tell me about a great meal you've had out recently? Oh, a great meal I've had out recently. That's a good one. Um, well, anyone who knows <laughs> the last few months of this role has uh, kept me very, very busy. Um, but to, to be honest, um, there's nothing that gives me greater pleasure is a very relaxed meal out with my family. Um, it's one that is everybody sharing. It is often, um, I've been living in Newtown for the last, um, eight years. I think Newtown, we're very blessed to have some beautiful restaurants there, but none that makes me happier is one that I'm sharing with my family. Um, where everyone's, you know, um, orders what they want and everyone shares, has a glass of wine, um, not the kids, let's be honest. Um, and that makes me the happiest of all. Fresh, good produce, um, good, friendly atmosphere. That's what, you know, ticks my box. Of course, I get very blessed to eat in amazing restaurants everywhere, but that's what really makes me happy. Love it. Um, all right. Well, it's lovely to have the opportunity to catch up with you as you're fresh in the role. Um, look forward to seeing uh, well, yeah, what you can make happen and uh, hope to catch up again soon. Thanks so much for your time, Belinda. Thanks, Denny. Really appreciate it. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. 
we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.